What is going on, everybody? It's the Fly Life Co. Podcast, and I'm your host, Martin Novak. And man, it has been a hot minute since we've done this. I think minus the update episode, April 2019 with Nurk was the last episode. Um, and really, over this last year, I've just been working in California, inspecting uh, high-voltage power lines for forest fire mitigation. And uh, I really just wanted to say a big thanks to all the people me to drop another episode, kept the love going, um, and I got to just watch the views and the listen count on the old episodes go up as I wasn't releasing anything, um, and we hit like 105, 106,000 views on season one, so big ups to everybody that listens to this. I'm going to say you guys, but according to the analytics, it's about 7% females, so shout out to you ladies as well. But going into season two, um, a couple things are going to be different about Fly Life Co. in general. Definitely still going to be the usual content um, that you're used to seeing, just FTV edits and the podcast. However, the edits might change up a bit more to cinematic stuff, not necessarily camera um, on a quad. I filmed maybe like four projects over the last year that didn't have to do with FTV, and I haven't really shared them anywhere. Um, and I want to start incorporating that stuff into Fly Life. It's still going to be heavy drone based, but just a bit more change up on adding a bit more to it and keeping it fresh for me. Really, a lot of this came for me. Like, the fly life started in October 2016, coming up on five years of it. Um, and really, like, it's not that I was bored of flying, but it kind of just felt like redundant. The format of stuff I had going, like the podcast, everything. It just started to feel redundant, and then COVID got stacked on top of that, um, and then everything just led back to conversation about COVID, which is what led to stop doing the podcast um, in the end. But the podcast is back, my life goes back, merchandise is back. I have a full line of uh, Geo Bird merchandise, hats, tees, hoodies, the champion dark tie-dye hoodie is my favorite. my videos um i think i made one edit in 2020 up until like july and they reshared and awarded that and uh just big shout out to airviews for staying true but make sure to head over to airviews.com check out my channel and check out some of the other videos out there it's not just fpv stuff but sometimes i feel like it's easy to get inspired off the other cinematic content people are capturing next sponsor big shout out to real steady same kind of deal year off they kept it going um, big shout out to real steady you want to stabilize your gopro footage check out realsteady.com and use code flylife at checkout for five dollars off or just go to realsteady.com backslash flylife now without further ado let's get into this week's episode you guys might have heard of him if you've been listening to the show a while you might have known him he's my best friend one of the realest people out there it's greg Ryder. On this week's episode, I have Greg on to basically catch up the last year of life. We've both had a bunch of stuff happen in our life. Greg bought a house, moved, got married, bought a dog, whole life change. I uh, I moved to California for a year, did power line inspection, bought a Cinelifter, and quit my job and moved back to Kansas last month. So we catch up on all that, and the usual banter and uh, stuff like that is in there. 
again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast, and uh, hope you guys enjoy this. Season two, let's go. You ready, Greg? Oh, yeah. Let's do this, bro. You've been ripping a lot, man. Let's get into your plan. We're going to talk about me, huh? When's our guest showing up? Uh, You are the guest, man. Just like old times. Oh, man. I thought we were going to have steel or like skyberries or someone cool on. Nah, just you, man. All those people don't want to talk to me after 15 months off. Yeah, dude. How long has it been since your last podcast? The last podcast, like proper podcast I recorded was April 2019 or 2020. Damn, that's like the, the start of the COVID era. Yeah, it was like one month after the shutdown. And then I did one update episode that was like 20 minutes long in December. Yeah, that's so cool. a hot minute. How you been doing? You've been doing all right with the COVID? COVID times? Yeah, dude. Uh, I'm a survivor. Had the Kobe Wobie back in April. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Back, had it back in California. Uh, for me, it was pretty chill. Um, I'm pretty stoked. I mean, like I was out in Cali the whole time where the laws were pretty strict, as you know. I mean, you're out there full time. Um, and like it really affected my job and stuff like that. So, yeah. Super pumped. They, they shut everything down in California pretty quickly. I know that we went to remote work like like pretty much right out the gate and we haven't yeah. gone back yet. Yeah. And especially coming from like rural Kansas where it's like, you know, the population density is like a tenth, not even. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm on a computer all day anyway, so it wasn't a big disruption. But I know for you, trying to get out there and, and fly and and do some of that was probably a, a major hiccup. Dude, it was it was terrible. That's uh like all my creative stuff got canceled, and that's how I ended up taking the job at Skyscopes in California, which I was doing for like almost a year, eleven months in Cali. Yeah. Was uh, I mean that's that's very different from like doing creative flights. What what was that gig like? Did you enjoy it? It was pretty dope. I got out there to do. I didn't even know I was going out there. Actually, I just got a call because I flew a different mission form on contract, and they were like, "Can you come help us in California?" And I did, and then I got locked into a year of basically doing high voltage power line inspection for forest fire mitigation in Southern California which was like a super dope job. Um, and I was very thankful to have it, especially during COVID and all the creative stuff um, dropping off for me. But definitely it's like, it's like the grind of drone work. It feels like you're like on an oil field or something in terms of it's like 10 hours a day, five to six days a week living out of hotels and stuff. Yeah. The hotel part can be kind of nice kind of traveling around and stuff. It probably gets a little old. I mean, what was the, what was the best part about that job? Best part about that job was like the like the brotherhood vibe in the field when you got like 25 guys that all pretty much get along flying drones that like hang out almost nonstop. Uh, it was like a bunch of middle aged like to 20 year olds going on like 12 years old out there, which was a pretty fun aspect. It felt like summer camp all the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, but yeah. I was just going to say, you, you were a pilot though, right? And it were, was everyone there a pilot or how did that work? No, it was like split. So it was like teams of two, everybody, there was like a pilot and a VO. Sometimes if people were sick or it was off, like it would rotate and you get two pilots together, which was nice. But otherwise it was always like a visual observer 
and then a uh, pilot taking care of the drone. Nice. I saw you guys were driving around in some police looking vehicles too. What was that like? Oh, that was sick. Yeah. Shout out to Skyscopes for having a fleet of Chevy Tahoe uh, with Chevy Tahoes with light bars on them. They're all murdered out with black rims. It's like looking like a three letter agency, no matter where you go. Yeah, dude. FBI shit. <laughs> it was great. Like people would be mobbing in the left lane and then they'd get like a hundred feet behind you just before they could read the Skyscopes writing and they would like slam on the brakes. And then once they realized it was not a cop, they would go get after it again. <laughs> Did you guys have California exempt license plates on there or were they just normal plates? Just normal plates. Because that's how I know, like, I'm behind a federal vehicle. If I see, you know, CA exempt, I'm like, uh oh, that's a task yeah. force. Watch Be cool. Out. Be <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, but going back to the hotel thing. So when I went out there at the end of last year, I did like 76 straight days in, a ho- in hotel rooms, not one. Like, we moved every two days. Mm hmm. Um, and then I came home for the holidays and I, when I was out there the first time I had met, uh, one of my coworkers, shout out to Stephen Chang who lived in his Chevy suburban and he had like had the whole back seats taken out and had solar and a fridge and everything. So when I came back for the holidays, I did the same thing to my Mazda CX nine and took out the three row seating and put in like a six foot bed and solar. And then for six months, like the first half of this year, I just boondocked around California doing the Skyscope job instead of doing hotels all the time. That's pretty sick. Yeah, I saw pieces of your build. Um, You had a pretty large battery in there. Yeah, dude, I had like 1,500 watt hours of battery, 100 watt hours of solar, and like a 25 quart fridge. And the the battery wasn't even hooked to the alternator. It was only charged off the solar panel. And it never died. Like, the solar kept it going the whole time. Dude, the Cali sun. Like, especially the, like, uh, Joshua Tree in those areas. Mm-hmm. I was cranking watts midday. Yeah. When there's no smoke in the sky. Yeah, that helps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had <laughs> some big fires last year. Um, but, so what was it like living in that thing? Dude, it was pretty interesting. Like I basically built it and then just like left the next day, like no testing, no nothing. And I drove like 11 hours the first day I had it. And I didn't even think about it. Pulled over in like close to Albuquerque, New Mexico, hopped in the back at a rest area, went to sleep and didn't even think about that. It was going to be like 17 degrees that night. (laughs) (laughs) I woke up in like a t-shirt and gym shorts like almost completely locked up like didn't know if i'd be able to make it to the ignition (laughs) (laughs) did you have an electric blanket in there you could plug into that battery or what no i had a sleeping bag that was good to 30 degrees okay oh gee yeah so did that learn a hard lesson there i didn't need an electric blanket or anything once i like just knew to put on long johns and wool socks before i went to bed and like a hoodie yeah or or you know, knew where to park, right? Yeah, <laughs> well, luckily, like, spots to... yeah, like luckily, Cali wasn't Albuquerque, New Mexico, in the middle of you know January. Like once I made it out to Cali, it was so nice. It was like especially out by like Ventura and Camarillo. Um, it was like fifties, sixties at night, like seventies during the day. Like I could just, it was super chill. And then I had the hot spot, my laptop, and yeah, man, it was like a little mini Japanese capsule hotel on wheels. i mean you saw it i drove it out to your place twice yeah oh yeah yeah soaking up those rays in my driveway yeah um 
Yeah, dude. Let's talk. Let's talk about the first time I came out to visit, which was like what end of February, mid February. It's all a blur, you know, with the past year and a half for me. But yeah, I think it was around that time. Yeah, and then we went. We went up to what's that place called? Pollock Pines. Yeah, yeah. Did so out in El Dorado Forest. Yeah, because uh, with all the with all the firearm shortages and stuff, you know, shooting's another passion of mine. So um you know i started building up some some different rifles and doing some competitive pistol shooting and i think i dragged you out there to come and and do some of that with me out in the forest it can be a little sketchy out there though you know because the whole point of going out to that blm land is to kind of to kind of have freedom right and kind of shoot the way you want to shoot and set up your targets but you know you're not the only person out there um and it's not always other shooters who are responsible gun owners and stuff like that you we run into some wild folk and uh yeah. and some mountain folk <laughs> and so uh you you always keep an extra clip on your belt from the way out of the forest just in just in case so uh i'm glad you uh i'm glad you endured it and went with me and it was a lot of fun yeah we made like such a sick serious shooting edit and then like a hilarious fake joke prank edit that didn't even like make an impact on the shooting social was area that, yeah yeah wasn't um wasn't that the second time we went to the forest i thought the first time you were shooting the ar and the pistol and then the second time we went out with the the whole movie that was the summer approach. before that was oh, the summer was? before yeah see i told you it's all been a blur <laughs> that was what, yeah that was like like the the, the when, when i helped that's you right move. The second time was when I had my wedding out here and uh, you were you were the photographer on staff and we didn't go shooting yeah. that time. Because remember, I came out like twice in three weeks yeah. or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What is that? Interstate five or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. My Fresno. <laughs> but yeah, doing doing the, the shooting at it was fun. I mean, we tried to kind of prank the shooting world with some like faked unsafe shooting of you getting some clips of uh of me just dropping a clip and or dropping a yeah. magazine as i should say but uh yeah you want to talk a little bit about that how we did yeah that? i'll post it but, but like everybody listening we basically made a video that was supposed to be like testing the new ronin rsc or the new dji rsc2 gimbal and we shot like a blank slate of the forest then greg walked into the frame and emptied a clip and I flew a Mavic in front of him as he did it. And then the next frame, he was out of it. And I was in front of him, like in front of where he stood, holding the Ronin, like pretending like I was basically ducking these bullets with the gimbal. And then we replaced the Mavic shot with what would be the gimbal shot and stitched the two of me being there and him shooting, which were not how it was in real life. Yeah. So basically I mean, just like, like you were shooting right in my head, basically. <laughs> Yeah, you were, you were standing, it looked like you were standing six feet in front of me while I was like shooting right over your forehead kind of thing. And uh, of course, we didn't do that because um, that would have been crazy. But the 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 final product pretty much was, it was convincing, right? I mean, it looked like you were standing there ducking bullets. Um, and I posted it in a, in a few gun forums and, you know, didn't get the like, you know, FUD response I was hoping for, like everyone flipping out. Uh, in fact, a lot of the, the like non-gun enthusiasts I sent it to were like, dude, that's super cool. 
um, you got a pretty ballsy cameraman. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? No one's no one should be doing that. Oh man, uh, no one really had the right response. So, um, but dude, yeah, we were like pretty- sitting on it too. We were like, dude, they're gonna like get this is gonna trigger people. People are gonna freak out, and then we can tell them later that it's fake. And like, it just it never happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I posted it on uh, April 1st, too. So I tried to make a little April Fool's prank out of it. And some some people were like, oh, man, you shouldn't be doing that or that's unsafe. But uh, I didn't get the high volume response I was looking for. So <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun, though. That was fun. Uh, taught me a little bit about some camera tricks we could be doing in the future with some of that stuff. And uh you know, the non-prank footage, uh, you know, you did an edit of me shooting the rifle and, you know, reloading the handguns and stuff at speed and in slow motion. I, I thought it turned out pretty dope looking. Dude, me too. I, um, I was just stoked to film something else. And it was funny how much worse I was at shooting when I was like focused on filming something. <laughs> yeah. Like the two times yeah, well, we went out there, the first time I was like pretty decent. And then the next time, like this last time I was like, I couldn't hit shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're thinking about like frame rate and uh, what f-stop you're at, and you just completely <laughs> forgot about your grip on the gun, and that thing took you for a ride. Yeah, <laughs> like shooting the gun and hit something. I'm like, oh, that'd be a cool shot. Yeah. Now you gotta see if you can track a bullet in full speed with one of your bigger rigs. Yeah, dude, we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's how you one up that golf that golf drive shot, you know. Dude, I just need something to go like in the cannon behind the projectile with just like control surfaces so I can just <laughs> follow it at the same speed. Yeah, you need like a zip line that moves at light speed. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was the first time I came out there. And then I went back to SoCal and I drove back up two weeks later to, like you mentioned, to be the photographer of wedding, which was honestly one of the most stressful like me having to deal with cameras on a like shoot you know that wasn't like a like a shoot shoot that was just your wedding and it was like pretty low-key and chill uh but that was like one of the most like most stress moments I've ever had like the night before something I'm like do not miss a moment dude (laughs) (laughs) well you know there's other modes on that camera besides manual you know you could uh you could run and gun with aperture priority or shutter priority but you're like no manual settings for every shot and i'm like dude that's gonna be a lot of work <laughs> good luck with that i honestly like i hadn't the whole i used to do it with like aperture priority and stuff back when i had my 6000 but now since i've had this camera like i haven't had it on any setting but manual and i have like all my presets and stuff so i would i was like afraid i'd be like searching for stuff you know yeah because yeah. once I flip it into that mode, then all my presets are gone. Mm-hmm. Your zebra and, lines are gone. You gotta, yeah. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, all that stuff. Um, and I like, I mean, and I just put that shutter mode on just. Yeah, like you're filming a drift car. Yeah. But do like the reveal shots and like the where there was like emotion that was like to never be repeated, you know? Like there was happiness and stuff like that throughout. Like everybody was smiling and it was like a family thing. But there was like maybe two moments where it was like one thing that was going to happen and then never again. Like ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It probably upped your blood pressure a little bit. I mean, mine was already high trying to get, you know, because I finished a week of work. Like I, 
I was trying to wrap up a deal before Saturday morning and couldn't even think about the wedding or my, my... dude, it was like, Martin, Hey, you're out getting jewel pods. Can you also get propane? We need that today. <laughs> <laughs> dude, I was doing everything last minute, but I mean, that that's the joy of a, uh, of a COVID wedding at the house. So I just feel lucky enough to have had you there taking pictures and, you know, uh, the weather was nice, so we could stream it in the backyard, which was dope. And a bunch of people that was pretty too. next level. I thought, like, you stream your wedding. Let's talk. Like, that's pretty par for the year. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, we did. And you know, fortunately, I, it came together came together pretty easy. But I, I know a lot of people who attended were like, "Hey, what what production company did you use, and how do I stream my wedding like that?" And so I just tried to. I tried to explain what I thought was pretty simple and they're like, Oh, okay. We're going to, we're going to hire someone <laughs> I'm like, no, it's really not that hard. You just need to buy this and this and get set up with a zoom account. And, you know, but uh, fortunately, you know, like you said, there's only one take at, at that. So I was nervous as hell trying to just make sure that it, we even got the stream up and running. We had wireless mics running. We had, you know, I mean, we had two version. The whole wedding was captured on Sony. Yeah. Like the, the live stream was done through your A7 III and then the photos were on my A7 III. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cool. it turned out, yeah, it turned out good. And yeah, it was fun. It was good to have you there. Yeah, dude. It was, it was super fun. Um, and it was like, in terms of capturing photos, the, the way it was set up at your house was nice because I had like nooks and alleyways around the house that I could get through with the camera without like disrupting anything. Yeah. Which yeah, was good. Well, I mean, yeah, we had very little furniture. So, I mean, <laughs> not a lot to maneuver around. You know, that's the joys of buying your first house, I guess, is you don't put anything in it right away. Yeah, dude, which is funny because, I mean, I was out there in July helping you move in. You were like, dude, we're going to have this you know ready and settled and like what was your original oh i think i was like oh yeah like you know 30 to 60 days we'll be all moved in things hung up on the wall i was i was smoking crack thinking that was the reality yeah i still <laughs> my garage still has boxes of stuff just straight up moved from the other house not even opened and uh, we only got a few pictures set up i was like i got to set up the office the sim rig you know, get a bed and a couch and then, you know, let's take a break for nine months. <laughs> yeah, dude. Boy, I mean, your work life balance is pretty work heavy. Work work centric. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't even call it really a work life balance. I would just call it work work life. <laughs> just work life. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, because when I was over there, like your FPV stuff was still in the same box as it was in from when we moved it in July. Yeah, it's a sad year. reality. Yeah, it's a sad <laughs> reality. No, that's not true, man. I mean, some no, of yeah, not, stuff was definitely... Not like your rigs, but when I was like, hey, do you have any heat shrink or whatever, you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, yeah, you got some uh, zip ties. I'm like, oh, that's going to be deep in that FPV box. Check, check the box by the garden hose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um there's there's some good stuff to fly out here though dude like when we went to that river where the the canoers or uh the yeah dude i was yeah i was just watching that footage back i really want to go hit that spot especially um now with like 
flying the digital rigs in spots mm-hmm. like that, like over water, especially, it's so much easier. Uh, where it's not just I, I like can, that mirror, you know. Yeah, I can only imagine just everything blurred out with the ripple in the water. If I can get <laughs> yeah. something a little better than that, you know, we can go <laughs> yeah. a little lower. You can go a little lower. <laughs> yeah, we hit that spot, and then you got some dope, just like fields and like mid-range, like cruising hill spots. <clears throat> hmm. Yeah, I lost the rig, browned out. Yeah, like 200 yards out in a rattlesnake infested field. I, I had to double take and be like, is it really worth me running out here to go find this thing? But uh, thankfully, you're, it started beeping. You're a big dude. You got a lot of blood, man. Your chances are good. Yeah, but I don't I don't think I'd survive a rattlesnake attack. <laughs> I just my system's not ready for that, you know? Yeah. Dude, I had a baby rattlesnake slither between my legs while I was uh, doing the power line inspections one day, and my VO just put his hand on my shoulder and was like, don't move. And then yeah, that after, would keep me focused. And then after it left, he was like, just so you know, there's a rattlesnake between your legs. He was chill about it. Like, he didn't tell me what it was until after. He just told me not to move. Yeah. Good friend right there. Good, yeah. good visual observer. He did, he did just that. <laughs> he just observed. <laughs> he didn't do anything yeah. more than that. Yeah. Uh, Martin, uh, you got a poisonous snake between your legs. Don't worry and don't move, but you, you're going to be all right. I'm going to get in the car. Let me know if you need anything. <laughs> yeah. And if you're not all right and he bites you, I'll let you know that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, dude, but you went out and got it. And I remember you were like, I don't know if I should do it. I was like, just be swift. <laughs> yeah dude it was like a, it was one of those barbed wire fences that goes up about neck high and i had to like slide my fat ass between you know two rungs of barbed wire to get out there without you know hanging up my clothes or any of that and uh then i just ran i started um <clears throat> i started arming it and just blipping the throttle which helped a little bit but then the battery got to a point where it wouldn't even blip the throttle and uh then i just heard this faint beep and i just ran like you know like full speed out there trying to find that beep and uh and i hope somebody was like out on their porch having a beer like a coffee or whatever what time of day it was and just like get a load of this (laughs) you know watching this yeah looking like a looking like an out of shape track star running across the field like what is this guy running for (laughs) it's right alongside a main road so people were people were probably like what the hell is going on here yeah, dude, and you shifted um, from, like, the concrete jungle to, like, the edge of the mountains, basically. Yeah. Yeah, concrete jungle, like, Richmond, California, which is a good and bad place to be, depending on where you're at, specifically in Richmond. But Food was, uh, food was dope. Food was good. We got Berkeley and Oakland with some modern culinary kitchens out there, which is, you know, fun. I think we went and had a good poke bowl that... I think I've probably spent about $3,500 on Poke Bowl since I've been at you because that's fine. <laughs> Has it ever lived up to that to that one bowl, though? Uh, one spot in Camarillo I had, uh, Poke to me, it was called, mm-hmm. uh, was as good as Rock and Bowl in Oakland. That was Oakland, right? Rock and Roll Sushi, yeah. But rock it was a Rock and Bowl, and bowl too, yeah. It was rock yeah. <laughs> I thought it was Rock I mean, they put, a, <laughs> they put a lot of jalapeno up in there. It's pretty rocking. I've never had one that big though. Mm-hmm. Like that was like a two meal type of bowl. 
Yeah, but it's just so good at the time you make it a one meal and then you just are like, damn, did I really eat all that fish? Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. Poke bowls are money, man. That's one thing we don't really have out here in the rural rural uh woodlands, you know, is too much poke bowl, but uh good barbecue out here, you know. Yeah, totally, man. Um, same with Kansas. <laughs> On both accounts. Good barbecue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not too many poke bowls. No, no. <laughs> yeah, if there's, not a, if there's not an ocean that's like at least, uh, you know, or within 100 miles of where I'm eating, then I'm probably going to decline the uh, the poke and sushi life, you know. Yeah, out here, I'll do like the go to Whole Foods, which for me is like two hours away. So it's like if I'm in Kansas City, I'll grab some like real nice tuna and salmon and then mm -hmm. grab it down on ice and make poke. But I've never gotten a poke bowl in Kansas. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I mean, which Whole, yeah. Whole Foods does have good Amazon powered refrigerated trucks to bring that fish in. So I'm, you know, I might go with some Whole Foods sushi if it's bring me the sushi. Take Jeff to space, get me, get me my poke yeah. bowl. <laughs> Dude, Jeff's a goner. Well, that's for another conversation, but he's out. <laughs> he's out. <laughs> he's settling Mars. Um, dude, I'm going to miss that part. Um, I don't know if I said it, but yeah, so in June, I left that job and then made my way through Colorado back to Kansas and then back to Colorado. But I basically left and went back to my old life of filming and flying mag surveys yeah um but the food from cali i'm gonna miss heavily yeah you hit up zanku chicken didn't you bruh yeah dude that that's probably one of the best plate lunches i've ever had you know mediterranean dude, it was like 12 bucks which yeah. in wherever it was that that's like santa santa barbara or no that's santa monica basically mm -hmm. santa monica area yeah 12 dollar meal insane yeah dude and it's uh it's so good for what it is so for anyone in the la area if you haven't had zanku chicken which is probably unlikely because if you live in la you've gotten some zanku chicken you've gotten some king taco you know there's uh there's a few good hole in the walls out there that just are money yeah what was the other one that around there uh base italian oh i haven't tried that base those italian. are some those are some bomb sandwiches in santa monica Okay. I got another one for you for your next trip is Philippe's. It was like where they made the first French dip in downtown. It's like a little Ooh. deli. Dude, the yeah. whole time, the year I was in Cali, I never went to LA. Really? Yeah. You probably drove through it. I mean, it's almost impossible to not drive through downtown LA. Yeah, I drove through it a bunch, maybe yeah, like eight times, but I never stopped or like did anything. Because when I first got out there, it was like COVID, so everything was shut and the streets were empty. And then when I yeah. went out there the second time, I was like kind of over the Cali craze. Yeah, yeah, it happens quickly. <laughs> yeah, well, and I was, I I was only like you know sixty miles away, but like four hours away. Yeah, in, like San Francisco. Yeah, dude, <laughs> LA traffic is nothing to mess with um yeah it's pretty rough so you were on the road uh a bunch you know with skyscopes and doing stuff were you at all flying any freestyle were you messing with new rigs new technology you know were you, were you doing any of the flying that you like to do 
Um, yeah, a little bit. I brought out like when I came out after the holidays, I brought out like my five inch film rigs and a low flow. I'll get into the low flow testing stuff for some new stuff, probably in some later episodes. Uh, but I brought my MQC stuff and I made, I think like one edit from Mormon rocks. I flew there twice, which was one of the coolest spots I've ever flown. It's at the top of Cajon pass, um, going right into Hesperia where X hover is. Mm-hmm. in between like San Bernardino and Hesperia and flew there. And that was a super chill spot. Went out there with Mr. Gabe Sasala. Shout out to Gabe. He's a dude I work with that like dragged me out on the weekends more than anybody else would. He's a super motivated dude. And, uh, and then I ended up getting a gig while I was out there that I took some days off for. And I ended up flying to Colorado to go film a music set um, for the lightning in a bottle music festival outside of Aspen which was super sick so I flew a little bit but I didn't really like bust out any edits or anything like that just a couple Instagram posts I probably pulled out the FPV quad like six seven eight times total in six months well I'm sure when you're flying all day especially more in that corporate environment measurement you know mag survey stuff everything um it's it's maybe a little desensitized or desensitizing right for the enjoyment part of it you're like, okay, yeah. I'm done flying for the day. Like I'm done flying on all accounts. <laughs> yeah. Cause by the time I get off work some days, I'd have like five hours in the air of my yeah. 10 hour work day. So it's not like, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go deal with charging batteries and like put goggles on my face. And it's like 98 degrees out. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Dude, what were, uh, when you were flying those missions, what, what are the rigs you're flying? Are they, are they super valuable? Do they, you know, did you ever have a time where you almost crashed one or another pilot crashed one? What sort of catastrophic issues do you have in I mean, a job like that? So with T&D, I flew the DJI M300, which like minus their ag stuff, I think is like as top of the line as it gets. And those are like by Honda Civic. They're like 20 to 30 grand, I think, depending on what RTK package you go with. And those things are pretty foolproof. That thing was like a mini Apache helicopter. Like it had so many sensors and cameras and like it was just the smartest, sickest drone I've ever flown. Like it was a pleasure to deal with that aircraft. Some people didn't like it going from the M210, which is like a bit more like a smaller and faster and a little simpler, but I thought all the sensors and stuff were sick. Like I could tell how far something was behind me when I was like way far out there, you know, like it, Mm -hmm. it had, it had like radar in all directions and it would map what was close to you on like a little screen in your feed. That's sick. So that was super sick. And then the mag stuff, um, that's always like a a thing of if you're going to hit something, because it's like the geophysicists want the mag as low as possible to get better data, but you're dealing with like trees and terrain and stuff. So like I've grazed it a few times for sure, but not like a full catastrophic blowout. So you're dragging around like a big pendulum out there, right? With the mag survey stuff. Yeah, it's like it's uh it's like a four pound thing that's hanging. It's like basically the little mini surfboard that's hanging like twelve feet below the DJI M six hundred. Wow. So if you're if you're twelve feet too close to a treetop, you you're dragging that thing. Yeah, yeah, you're dragging that thing. It's just it, it yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> it's such a scary <laughs> feeling, dude. So, I mean, how do you, how do you navigate that? Are you on like FPV goggles, like looking, looking forward at potential upcoming terrain, or do you map it to a point where you know the altitude you need to be at? Or So I map the whole thing, um, what's off of what's called a DEM, a digital elevation model. 
And I basically just like contour the mission to the digital elevation model and then try to account for trees. And like, sometimes I'll bring a Mavic and like measure tree height, you know? Mm. Um, and then like, you can run a practice mission on like the Mavic or like something chill. Um, that's like, you know, way less money and has a good video feed. Yeah. And go like, you know, if you have a part of the mission that's stressing you out, you can go fly the Mavic through that part and be like, okay, no, we're going to be good. So you just kind of hope that those trees haven't grown much more than the last time that that uh, altitude or, or height has been measured, huh? Yeah, dude, it is so much more <laughs> stressful trying to make sure something's not going to hit something when you're not doing it with your thumbs, like when you're doing it through autopilot calculations. Yeah. Because you like line up all these variables and then you're like, all right, come on. <laughs> Rolling the dice there a bit. So how come yeah. you don't just fly like way above the treetops? Because that would take it back to, um, you could put a mag on an airplane and get this like an area that big done in like, you know, an hour. But the mm -hmm. resolution of the data is better because it's like before drones, the options were you either walk the magnetometer, like ground-based survey, people just walk with GPSs along the grid pattern. Mm -hmm. or you strap it to a heli or an airplane and the drones are like kind of in the middle like they can cover way more ground than a person um and, but they get way better resolution than an airplane or a heli got it yeah that makes sense yeah good old good old mag surveys man so, so you took off <laughs> you took off from work to go do that um music video shoot right yeah and i went yeah, I went to, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and you had to hike in there, I think, if I remember right. Yeah, I we had to hike. We went out to Wolf Lodge. Shout out to Darren Corelli, who built this lodge um, at 10,000 feet in Colorado by hand. He bought a plot of land and, like, hiked in everything to build it. I want to get him on the podcast to talk about it. But he, like, started with a lumber mill and just started cutting down trees. And this place he built is epic. It's basically like a cabin slash a little mini venue on 10 acres at 10,000 feet. By the time of the year we were there at, we had to drive like three miles, hike a mile, snowmobile three miles, and then hike another mile because the snow was like half melted depending on where you were at. So it was like an eight hour hike with all of our gear, like DJ equipment, all my drone stuff, all my camera stuff, um, all my clothes. Darren, the guy that built the place, was super nice, and he ran like all our food and the subs and the speakers and the lighting and that stuff up like the days leading up to that. And then um, the artist IHF, which was a full circle moment because I used one of his songs for a fly life edit like three years ago. So I was like, Sick. when I met yeah. when I met him, I was like, sorry about the copyright, but this is dope. <laughs> did he get behind it yeah he was stoked and uh he we filmed uh two sets for him and then one set for my buddy uh ryan goldbust who's like a local dj in um aspen ryan went first and we like did all the trial stuff on the video and made sure everything worked and then uh ben gorman aka ihf played his two sets like as the sunset into the night and the second set was kind of like uh hail mary we were like we still got some gear the light's still here but uh like all my cameras started shutting down i ran out of memory um it got too light or too dark everything got grainy like halfway through a set everybody was like well we're just gonna start drinking <laughs> shows over nice. keep, playing. keep playing yeah 
So how much, like how many cameras were up there on that gig? Uh, so we had, I had my Z cam and my Sony and my Mavic. And then Darren had like a 360 GoPro, some Canon, like cinema, like mini cinema camera. Um, and then his 5d on a tripod and a 50 mil out front. So I think we had like seven cameras, six cameras on the artist. Mm -hmm. Um, and then two of those were my Sony on a gimbal, which I was like walking around with. And then the Mavic I was doing laps with intermittently. And then I flew the FPV quad, like a few rips, but it's, I like just couldn't integrate the footage really. I was going to say, it sounds like a color grading nightmare. Yeah. Thank God um, Adobe has that like color match feature. I'll which at least, yeah, <laughs> yeah, which at least gets you in the ballpark. Yeah, uh, that, those auto buttons are money. Dude, and um, I remember this time for like the first time to have all the white balances set to the same on every camera. Yeah, that'll help a lot, huh? That helps so much. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine, dude. How like seven or eight cameras trying to mix different color logic and different white balance and man. dude, and I got the Z cam like right before that. And so I have like a 128 gig card for it. Um I was like, all right, sick. I'm gonna film this in like ProRes 4K, like this is a music set. We're up in the mountains. This is like its first time stretching its legs. How epic. I have I have a 10 mil lens for it so I can get all close up on the artist and still get the mountains, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I set it to the ProRes settings and it's like, you have 13 minutes of record time. And I was like, Sh shit. <laughs> <laughs> and so I didn't even think about it. Um, and so I ended up having to do like 1080p ProRes, which ended up being fine. We had so many cameras and so much footage to deal with. The Z cam for the three sets still busted out like half a terabyte um, of mm -hmm. footage. And, but I had just ended up having to like dump it in between sets. Yeah, I mean, the value in like having all those shots and different angles like look the same in the edit is, you know, invaluable. Like I would think, you know, because there's no way to get the GoPro uh, footage to look like the 4K ProRes, right? So you got to make the 4K ProRes look a little bit more like GoPro footage, which is, you know, kind of the opposite direction you probably logically want to go, but ultimately probably makes for a better edit. Yeah, definitely. And it was weird because I feel like the GoPro footage blends better with the other footage um, at like peak golden hour, like when the sky is just blown out, like it's beautiful enough that it kind of like takes away the GoPro look, you know, mm -hmm. um, and it's like easier like that Mormon Rocks edit I did was like Sony Mavic and GoPro footage all edited together. And that day I didn't have that much trouble because it was all at like this crazy nice, just like half the sky was gold. Yeah, um, but in like flat light or as it got dark and stuff or midday, it was no bueno. So are you still sold on Adobe Creative Cloud? Because I know you were trying some other other software out there like DaVinci Resolve and some other stuff. Dude, if it wasn't for the Adobe ecosystem, I would totally just pay 300 bucks and edit on Resolve uh, full time. But like I use Photoshop and Lightroom way mm -hmm. too much to not justify yeah. having the suite. Dude, Lightroom's crazy. I mean, think about, about, I mean, developing photos, first off, not digitally, right? And then to getting to the point where you're in Bridge and Photoshop all the time. I mean, now Lightroom just makes it so much Dude, you can You can like see on my personal Instagram when like the Lightroom cloud, like I integrated it to my phone where it just synced everything. 
um it's like my posts and like the pictures and stuff get so much better because there wasn't the workflow of like export it airdrop it post it it's just like oh it's already on my phone and raw formats you know look so much better but i think it used to take so much time to pull all those colors out of a raw image right and now it's pretty much just a couple clicks and a few sliders and you got like pretty much a print ready yeah and you can do it all on your phone like now i just take the card throw it in my laptop dump everything to lightroom and then like living on the road i would just be like chilling on my phone just editing photos on there like listening to a podcast yeah where are you you doing all your go go ahead you can do like you can mask like do everything you know yeah those linear linear gradient masks and all that good stuff uh, yeah, McKinnon life yeah yeah <laughs> um and where are you storing all your stuff these days ah uh, so right now i have an eight terabyte drive that has like three years of fly life on it and it's about to be tapped in like two weeks it's got like two weeks of storage left on it yeah, I was going to say, like, the minute you upgrade your camera, like the way you did with your Zcam and, and probably even with your Sony 4K and, and HD videos and stuff like that's a, just a ton of storage, right? If you don't clip it all down and just throw it in the circle file, I mean, you got to library that shit somewhere. Um, I didn't even think about it when I popped the Zcam, dude. <laughs> You're like, one card will get me by. I got a, I got a 500 gigabyte drive in my computer. I'll be good. It's oh, like it's just a bigger shoot. GoPro with a bigger card. I've dealt with this before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm stoked to get an Unraid server going at my house, hopefully in the near future. Um, yeah, I'll pitch on that I... if I can tap into it from here. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the nice thing about an Unraid server, right? You can uh, credential people with login and you can access it remotely and all that stuff. I'm thinking more about when I get that new Xbox and I start doing screen capture at 4K of like, you know, every lap in Forza <laughs> kind of thing. Um, I'm going to need some storage. And then on top of, you know, any FPV footage that I get, if I ever. Fly. Well, yeah, and you, well, you bought a Sony in the last year too. Yeah, dude. I mean, yeah, it's shooting all in raw. And I think I had the wrong setting on the camera for a while. Well, not the wrong setting, but you know, like it it stored every shot as a JPEG and a raw. Yeah. So yeah. like, you know, I, I mean, I see some value in that, but now I'm just, you know, just capturing the raw and then I'll I'll export it to JPEG if I need. But I mean, that was taking up so much storage on cards and my lightroom you know library and all that stuff but i used to do that when i first started i did the same i was like oh redundancy and then i can just deal with the jpegs on my phone if i want to mm-hmm. and then after like four months i was like because i always ended up going into the folder and being like just searching like dot raw and grabbing all those yeah and never did anything with the jpegs yeah well i mean cloud storage is nice but they're you know it's costly you need to make sure you get it from your local drive to the cloud storage. And sometimes, you know, with a big shoot, that'll take a bunch of time. So I see a bunch of value in this Unraid setup, but I just got to, you know, requires building it out. Yeah. And I, like, I don't have access to internet all the time, you know, on the road, mm-hmm. like yeah. dumping footage and stuff. It's usually like after a few weeks, like I have like a hard drive I travel with that I store everything on for it's like a terabyte. And then when I get mm-hmm. home, I'll dump that thing into a folder on my main drive. But dude, there's a RAID system that's like 12 terabytes on Amazon for like 500 bucks. And so that's pretty I th- good. 
I think I might do that because another eight terabyte just straight hard drive is like 200 something. Mm, yeah. I mean, have you priced out what an Unraid setup would run you? I mean, you got to pretty much build a separate PC. That's the uh, thing. It's then, like, I don't, I don't want to deal with it. Like, yeah. I just want to buy it, plug it in and be like, yay, more storage. Yeah. One of the directors on my team built one out. It's like a little tiny square PC that sits in his closet pretty much with a ethernet connection. He can, all of his internet traffic actually runs through that with a VPN. Like he's on another level in terms of like logging what internet services have access to his computer at all times and you know, where these files are sitting and stuff like that. It's, it's pretty, uh, pretty fiend. Yeah, that would be a sick setup. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't have the time for a hobby like that right now. <laughs> Neither do I, my friend. Neither do I. Yeah, dude, um, I feel like I took a year off the FPV game, like minus a few flying things. It's like I did a couple of drift events in the winter and then a few Cali edits, but it was basically mm -hmm. like a calendar year of the fly life taking a break. Yeah. Now you got, uh, you're working on a reel, you got merch, you got big gigs coming up. And, you kind of like brought it back with a fury, didn't you? With uh, the Cinelifter and some of the new gear you got for your freestyle rigs. Yeah, the Cinelifter definitely like re-sparked my love for FPV drones and cameras. That was like such a big purchase that it was like, I think minus my Cinewhoop, like the only ready to fly I bought. Mm -hmm. And it was my yeah, first di digital rig. I was going to say, and you went to HD goggles, so you should talk about that. And then... I mean, what was it like going through the process of ordering up a Sicario and, and thinking about having someone else actually build that thing and have all the liability with them in case it drops out of the sky with a, you know, $4,000 like camera? Half, half why I did it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it all started because I was out doing work in Cali and I was at a hotel and my coworker, Stephen, had just bought a DJI FPV rig. So we were all like pumped about it. We could see him flying it outside and then we could see some other people by him with FPV rigs. We we're like, oh shit, he met some other FPV people. We should go talk to him. And we walk out there and it's um, Blake Sims, nub FPV from DRL. And he's like, yo, what's up, Martin? Like he's been on the podcast. He's there with that like after films company. And he's like, Jordan Temkin's going to be here. Like Jet's going to be here tonight. So it was like this crazy small world moment. And he was like, you got to check out Jordan Sicario. And he had it there with the Komodo on it. And like I held that and I was like, shit, this is like the sickest thing I've ever seen. Like I'd seen pictures of it, but just seen it in person holding it. It's so heavy and so beefy. Um, so the next day I started like doing a bunch of research because I'd wanted to send a lifter, but then COVID hit. Um, and then I found like I'd always known about quad standard labs and I just gave Troy um, over there a call. Like you can set up a discovery call on their website and I just like picked his brain. So that was the start of my process of like ordering it. And it was between the Sicario or the thick, the Sicario is like over double the money of the thick, but it's got that lower CG. The thick has more of just like the camera on a plate up top with the battery below. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Sicario to me is like more of like the five inch style quad the batteries behind it. Nice and low. You know how I feel about CG. <laughs> yeah. One of, one of those is a school bus and the other ones a Cayman. Yeah, exactly. And, and it, the second Troy was like, oh, yeah, you want this? Because I was like, I don't care about the money. I just want it to fly as well as possible so I have the confidence flying it to, like, get pretty sick with it, you know? Yeah, so how was that, like, pre-sales process with him? How did he, you know, 
how did he make you feel comfortable about that? Um, super, like he made me feel great. I went in there with some questions, like told him the stuff I'm trying to film, the speeds I'm trying to go and the cameras I'm trying to carry. Um, and it basically came down to the Sicario. I mean, I think he knew pretty quick. It wasn't going to be the thick for me. Um, I don't think he was like trying to upsell me. I hadn't really even considered the thick once I um, really looked into the Sicario. We talked for like 30 minutes on my lunch break and I was like, yeah, send me. He was like, I'll, I'll get a build list going for you with like the DJI goggles and everything like that. And I'll send you over an invoice and you can tell me what you think. I got the invoice and the build list and like I sat on it for a day. And then it was like, I got my tax return and Dogecoin blew up in like the same 24 hours. And I was like, well, that's it. <laughs> so I just paid the, paid it like without telling them I was going to pay it. Uh, I was just like, all right, here you go. Let's do this. Mm hmm. Uh, but then the build, this was like April 3rd or 6th or something, but then the build took like eight weeks before I got it. Cause I waited for the V2 frame. Um, I waited for the hot swap capabilities. Then he don't like always let me know. He's like, Hey, I can, you know, have this thing to you by this date, but like Andy's going to ship this carbon on this date. If you're down to wait, you should wait for this. And I, like, I was just in California working, so it was no difference to me. Um, so eight weeks later I got it and, um, I was like, I had it for a week. I didn't even think about XT nineties for the charger. So I got it and then couldn't charge any of the batteries or anything. <laughs> so <laughs> had to wait. And like, went, like I could only really fly on the weekends um, with work. And with that thing, I wanted to be like away from everybody, just go out to a field and like really take my time with it. Just like take it, mm -hmm. and do everything proper. So I just put it off another week, soldered up some XT 90 connectors for the charger and then the first time I flew it, man, I just went like balls to the wall, put the Z cam on there. Troy like already test ripped it, um, put a bunch of packs through it, tuned it. It was like, it's good to go. And I was like, you know, this is what I paid for. This is like why I basically cost double than just building it. Um, so I yeah. put the Z cam on there and then, yeah, I mean, you called it, you were like, how slow did you ease into that throttle on that first test? Over? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I have a bad habit of uh, flipping up that throttle and seeing that thing flip out due to wrong motor configurations or whatnot. So, you know, that would be my hesitancy is just like, Oh, let's get this thing just barely moving the props. Yeah, which is, I was stressed about too, because we're dealing with a coaxial X8 now, like it's a whole new realm of prop orientation. Yeah. And so did that thing ship with eight props on it? I mean, how big was that box it came in? The box is like a 25 by 30 Pelican, roughly. Prop, I don't have the props on case, so I got to take the props off. Um, but mm -hmm. it's a pretty, it's a pretty, it, it holds the drone, um, the camera, a couple sets of props and four batteries. So I think ships in a hard case. Yeah. Oh, that's dope. Super dope, dude. It's got like a little Gab Shen drones and QSL logo on it, like a labeled badge, not just like nice. a sticker, like a nice 3D badge. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, Troy at QSL crushed it with that. And then I had like one small issue, which ended up being a party bonus. Um, he actually shipped mine with the Komodo mount when I needed the Z-cam mount and I let him know. And he like basically overnighted it like 36 hours later, I had the Z cam mount. Um, so that was like the only hiccup I had and it ended up being a bonus because now I have both mounts. Yeah, now you got a reason to get a Komodo, huh? <sighs> Not going to happen. <laughs> so much money, dude. Z cam sick, dude. I think that's, that's probably the right way to go, you know, especially since that thing's flying around the sky 40 miles an hour, 60 miles an hour. Yeah, more, if right? I had to... 
if I had to do it again, I'd probably get the full frame Z cam. I got the micro four thirds one. Mm -hmm. It's like a few grams lighter. I don't think it's like much noticeable. It's a lot cheaper. It's like 1300 cheaper, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and it, and it does 4k 120. So it's pretty dope. And it gets you in a super or a, a cheaper lens ecosystem than full frame. Yeah. Yeah. And it crops in a little more. So yeah. Yeah. Which I also didn't think about, like I got a 10 mil lens to start and I'm like, that's ah, a little tight. Cause I was reading these Cinelifter groups and everybody's like, yeah, like I'm rocking a 7.5 or an eight mil. And I'm like, that's so what? On so on wide, but then full frame or on micro four thirds, both. But um, like now I realize I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't think about that. That's actually like a 15 mil, you know. And I think GoPro is like 16 on wide. Mm -hmm. Super views yeah. more. Yeah, well, it sounds like a sweet setup. Yeah, it's been sick, dude. The so I flew it that first day, and then like it was super scary until I put the goggles on and then it just felt like another FPV quad and it was digital. My first digital flight ever was like me by myself in a field with this thing. And just being able to see all the grass, and the ghost branches was like a, another level of confidence. Mm -hmm. Which you probably need when you find something that big and that expensive, you know? Yeah, definitely. And <laughs> it's so big and so expensive. And then the third pack ever was that Frisbee golf shot at Mormon rocks where I, had some buddies that climbed up to the top of those rocks and threw some frisbees off and i swooped in with the sicario yeah i remember you telling me about that you weren't even near them were you you were like way no. on the other side i was like down in that valley like probably close to a quarter mile away was that pretty nerve-wracking was that your first shot flying it around people or flying it that far away from you know your your take yeah that was dude like, yeah I, I put like two packs over a grass field through it and then i had like everybody at work knew i had it um and shout out to david russell and adam McAlpin. they were both like yo let's go do this and they tried to get permission to go to it at a frisbee golf course and the guy at the front counter was like i'm good with it just like if you get caught don't tell him i said it was chill and i was like mm -hmm. i can't like the sicario the whole golf course is gonna know something's ripping you know we're not gonna be able mm -hmm. to keep this chill um so yeah and then it was funny because i took off with the drone at mormon rocks like third flight with the digital and i turned around and faced the sunset and i was like oh my god it's beautiful <laughs> you like pause for a minute you're like wait am i flying it, right now this is yeah. um but like the way troy set it up i have like full osd with a gps arrow on the digital setup with like mm -hmm. my RSS or link quality and everything. So it's pretty, pretty, I don't know. Like I don't have any stress line anymore. Yeah. Any I question trust. you have, it, it's answered right there on the screen. Yeah, exactly. I can see everything. If it's going to go bad a little ways out at least. Yeah. Now you were flying that thing uh, with seven inch props, right? Or now you're trying eight inch. What's, What's kind of the difference there you've noticed? Um, yeah, so I flew with seven inch props for a while and then I kept the sevens on and then I took the thing out to Colorado and flew at like 8,000 feet with it. And I had the first moment where I like ran out of throttle and it was over a river pulling up to some trees. So it was like a real bad spot to be running out of throttle. And I had to physically like pull up with the Sicario to get out of there. And so I tried the eight inch props and like in the mountains, that elevation 
they were super great, especially for cruising. I think down here where I live at like 900 feet, they're going to be a little slow. Like, I think it's going to be like drift cars and like chasing subjects, seven inch props, cruising and covering ground, eight inch props. Mm -hmm. You got to code in that, that like giant red bold lettering that says pull up, pull up when you drop <laughs> below a certain altitude, <laughs> throttle up and pull back, dude seriously um but no now i really want to build um which i know i shouldn't because like i haven't even put that many laps through this but i really want to build like a either an 8s sicario or a 12s honey badger mm, i haven't even seen the honey badger what's that uh, it's a t it's a tbs cinelifter frame designed by paul something starts with a case from one of the scandinavian countries um but it's like a cinelifter it's 420 dollars for the frame which is perfect mm -hmm. and um it's just a bit more modular and has like bigger bays um like the sicario is kind of janky to fit um escs on that aren't all-in-ones mm. and basically for for ADAS, they now make an 80 amp all-in-one from fox here but if you want to go 12s you got to get the apd separate individual escs yeah i would think that's a lot of current a lot of voltage to be running through like a all-in-one yeah, it's a lot of battery man yeah like two five thousand uh successes strapped together mm -hmm. power <laughs> <laughs> yeah you need some thrust there so what uh what props do those turn what size uh i've seen build go from like nine inch to 13 inch on 12s there's this guy uh, on YouTube, Ross has a drone that I talked to actually when I was getting into the cinelifting stuff. And he has this video from a while ago with a drone that's called the Zeus and it's, it's a 12S 13 inch quadcopter. Mm -hmm. It's a, it can like, it flies like a five inch, but can carry like maybe even like a red dragon or something. Now are these all eight motor as well? That one isn't, but that, that was kind of like an earlier build. Now everybody's finding out that eight is the safer way to go redundancy mm -hmm. you can lose one and make it well that's interesting so so if even if you just lose one motor it'll recalibrate the gyro or you know still bring you back to level it'll be like when you bend a prop on a five inch like you know when you lose like a blade mm -hmm. and a blade and a half but it still makes it it's just like mm -hmm. almost it's good it's just gonna do that whereas if you lost a blade on a quad carrying that much weight it's going down yeah yeah and i know you used to set up your uh your freestyle rigs with like pretty much full manual control no warnings not much osd like are you doing more setup with the larger rigs like are you doing uh auto level for on a switch kind of thing and anything like that yeah i have the only thing i have i mean the osd which lately i've been running more osds not on like my freestyle rigs but on like the film rigs mm -hmm. and stuff um but then i do have level mode just in case i ever lose video or something i can just yeah level it out and get it up which is probably i think never happened before <laughs> <laughs> probably no turtle mode on the uh, sicario hopefully it never lands upside down on that camera Dude, landing it right side up is stressful enough, man. Yeah, aircraft carrier style. Yeah. Um, and then with this, like, I flew the Sicario and that completely sold me on digital. So now I have a digital Rebel Basic setup. And then I have two um, Cadex Polar, the newest new camera that can fly at night and is like set up to be encrypted with the next DJI stuff. 
Mm. Nice. I know all yeah. that stuff's selling out pretty quick because supplies on pretty big shortage. Yeah, I had to order my original air unit that I like that I put in the Rebel frame outside of Sicario from like some RC RC shop that I had never heard of. You know, like I just mm. searched it on like page three <laughs> in Google, I found one. <laughs> oh shit! Like that. And then like two weeks later, I got an email from Get FPV that was like the Cadex Polar just dropped, so I just bought two like sight unseen and then watched the videos later. Sick. So those are on the Rebel rigs right now? You're going to HD on those or where, where are those uh, landing? So everything's going to HD besides the low flow. Um, and so cool. the MQC splits are getting replaced by two Rebel basic frames on HD. And then I have a Co slammed um, squirt, Shendrone squirt that's getting the last air unit. Oh, from Teal and those guys? Yeah. Speaking of no, no one's gonna be able to see what I got their shirt on. You rocking the shirt. Yeah. Nice dude. Uh, yeah, those look pretty cool. Yeah, super cool. So full HD on everything, dude. Never going back. And I can wear my glasses on underneath the goggles. Like, get out of town. Game over. Yeah. What are those things called that you have to put into the analog goggles? Um diopters. Diopters, yeah. Which are super sick until you need to pull your goggles off to look at your quad line of sight and i gotta be like within six feet of myself to land line of sight without my glasses on yeah i can see that being a little challenging <laughs> yeah. and uh so yeah I, I can rock my glasses and then now i start rocking the radio strap again for the first time in a while okay that you might appreciate <laughs> actually dude um you know, the strap is long gone in one of those moving boxes. So the last probably five to six times I've, I've flown, I just pretty much am not using the strap. So yeah. Especially it's after. good. It's especially, especially after that incident. Um, yeah, dude. But I mean, it, I think it's good to, to not, I mean, there's probably value to both, right? I like being able to fly without a strap just so, I'm almost more comfortable gripping the radio and having that dexterity, um, right? But I think there's times where you kind of want to go hands off or you need to go hands off or just know that that thing's supported a little bit more. Especially when you got one of those expensive rigs in the sky, you kind of want to fail safe in case you have a rattlesnake between your legs or, you know, someone You need to pull your goggles and... over your face real quick. Yeah. You know, that drop in your radio. Not one-handed, yeah. I can't do it with the glasses one-handed. That's why I had to start rocking it. Got it, got it. Just yeah. make sure that clasp works. Yeah, <laughs> straight up. <laughs> you don't want to drop a radio mid-flight on a maiden voyage like I did. Yeah. But, uh... Um, And then I took, uh, I went back out to all my old spots when I lived in Colorado two years ago, and I took um, the digital five i mean i took everything i flew the sicario but i just posted that footage but i took the digital five inch rig and flew like all the same lines i did with my analog and mm -hmm. like it wasn't super long range it was all like up to maybe three quarters of a mile tops a mile um but i had such better video than with analog man wow i mean that's pretty convincing right out in the mountains well, I mean, you probably don't have a lot of interference out in the mountains, so analog is going to be pretty strong anyways out there. But just I would think latency would be an issue even at a mile. So the only, I was 
the only latency I felt was when I hit an area where like I would go to static with the analog. Like I went through the same little like rock spot just to see what would happen. And it went to like heavy delay on the visuals, which was a really weird feeling. Cause I was like, I can still see the rock, but I know the sticks aren't like the, the screen isn't doing what my thumbs are, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas on analog, you just go to static and that's kind of a freak out moment. It's like less of a freak out moment with digital because you can still see what you're looking at. It's just locked up. Yeah, that's still that still would freak me out. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, but then like some of those tree lines, like that clip I posted where I found like that tree shoot line, I was never able to get that low that early in those trees with analog. And I was never able to make it out of that gap at the very end because I could never see well enough to see where the gap was. Yeah, I mean, that was pretty convincing when you showed me that footage and like diving deep into that tree line and then coming out. I was like, damn, that's all on yeah. digital, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because, right, there's huge benefit in being able to see that level of resolution and see those ghost branches and kind of navigate probably, I don't mean, what, like 20, 30 feet more ahead of you because it's yeah, not all dude, blurred. I I feel like I can get so much lower and closer to stuff because I'm not as like freaked out by it. Like I, I feel like with analog, I'm always worried there's something I'm not seeing if I'm in a new spot. Mm -hmm. um, whereas with the digital setup, I'm like, it's a whole new world <laughs> flying around, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you still have to focus those cameras? Do you kind of pick at what um, distance you want your focal point to be? You know, I haven't touched it. I just grabbed it out of the box, unlocked yeah. it with the DJI assistant and haven't you i could put a 1.8 mil lens on there if i wanted like on the mm -hmm. low flow so i yeah. might mess around with that but so far so good nice yeah that's dope you're gonna see uh you're probably gonna see some good footage coming from you in the next couple months at the drift events and better be um yeah it's been enough on camera here that it should look pretty sick <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude that would be awesome well, what else are you looking forward to now that you're uh, you're doing something different now, right? You're not doing the uh, you're not doing the day to day piloting for Skyscopes and gonna break out a little bit and do some more creative stuff now again, or what's your plan? Yeah, I got I got like a, another like five weeks off basically today. Right after this, I'm headed to Arkansas for a week just for a family trip, like a little lake trip, which I'm super pumped about. Um, and then after that, I'm going to Birmingham, Alabama for a weekend, then Nashville, Tennessee for a weekend, and then back to Birmingham for another weekend to go chase some drift cars at uh, Mid Pond. Shout out for Nick Holt for inviting me out. You go out there and then I'm going to go shoot uh, my buddy's wife's has a cheesecake company. I'm going to go make some like promo content for him in Nashville. Sick. Are you going to make like a, like a commercial for them or? Gonna... yeah i think i'm gonna get, get a little shiffer on it actually i got cool. some ideas get some ingredients going in jars and slow-mo with the z-cam like a studio type shoot yeah some, like a uh, backdrop kind of thing the construction of a cheesecake basically like a deconstructed cheesecake falling into the jar like all the ingredients is what i want sick um and then back here and then I actually got um, another job, which I'll talk about down the road starting in September. So nice. It'll be well, half gotta, creative stuff and half survey stuff. Yeah, that sounds pretty dope. Good blend for you. 
probably of like steady gigs and also unleashing some of that creativity, right? Yeah, dude, absolutely. I it was what I needed. Like, you know, it went from like Martin's free to play Forza at any hour of the day, any day of the week <laughs> to like months on the road. Yeah, that was really frustrating that you were on the road for what, like eight or nine months and come back cold and still work me in Forza laps. I, I needed to know that internally. I was worried, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a rig for like nine months. I should have really stepped it up, dude. I just, dude, uh, not just I a rig. You got like the rig. I, I mean, it, it's it's a great rig. It's really nice. I can't complain. I wouldn't say it's the top, top of the line, right? Like for, uh, dude, for Xbox. For an Xbox, for Xbox it's the top. Yeah. Greg's got yeah. like a full Fanatec set up on like a chassis with like it's it's sick. Could have bought a crowd rocket, but it's sick. <laughs> yeah, I could have bought a few things for that, but you know, fortunately, uh, I had some loving family members that that helped kind of push me into that direction. But yeah, we got a, We got a handbrake on there. We got a good pedal set. Um, nice wheel. I really like drifting. In fact, I think I improved most in drifting while you were gone. hundred percent. I feel like you drifted the most that you never really were like to tell me too much about track times. Yeah, I didn't. I, I mean, I focused on Nürburgring and Laguna Seca, Lime Rock and Prague and a few others, but then I had too much fun, uh, you know, you know, getting top three or top, top score on, on the open drift meetups. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Once it gets competitive, you're like, ah. well remember that day we were we hit up the open drift meet and uh you know i think you did take top top lap score i think i had like top three but um it was fun just chopping it up with all those guys that were actually doing some drifting you know talking about their car builds and their angle kits and ls swap this so california rule on smog this and and then we got them all into doing a, a grip, a grip track, right? Doing Nurburgring. And I think you, you, you were like, I don't know, 20 seconds faster than the next guy. So you and still like got a stock it, man. came in. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I was talking trash to, he's like, oh, Nurburgring, this is my track, man. I'm so good at this. And I was like, oh shit. I don't like, I've never met this person. Maybe he is. I got to go on it. And then by like half lap, I was gone. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. He, he took a McLaren he Senna. I was sweating. <laughs> yeah yep yeah that's, um, that's some good stuff but speaking of those dudes and talking about drift builds i think we need to let the world know how deep you've gone into build lists and how close we all were to seeing rider go full bore into a drift car build or a race car build dude it's kind of a sensitive subject um you know after building that car with my dad you know it wasn't on my budget at all right building the cobra um actually that's not true i i had to buy quite a bit for that that build but it was still like not my project and i had fun wiring it and we dropped the motor in and you know i did a bunch of work on that thing uh, especially on the brakes dude Whew. trying to bleed those brakes and and get the right setup going with the pedals the willwood pedals i just it was too much fun you know it was almost like more fun than driving the cars on the street um, and especially since that thing was so small, you know, I, I didn't fit in it too well. Kept banging my shit. Know. Greg's like six three, six four. 
Yeah, and that's, you know, fitting it, fitting into a custom-built car that's built for someone who's 5'11", you know, yeah, was not enjoyable driving it. But I had a blast uh, building it, wiring it, and, you know, being part of that whole thing. So I've been jonesing for my own car project probably since I met you, like probably three, four years ago. In fact, at the time, I was thinking about doing a 356 Porsche custom build with a WRX motor and doing something super classic style. Yeah, that's, um, I remember because I was like, I think we should be friends. <laughs> You're like, so what kind of Porsche are you talking about? I'm like, not a 996, bro. Not a 996. Um, yeah, so been looking for car projects ever since. I've been thinking about, you know, everything from a C6, C06 to a brand new Supra to a 911 build. Um, now I'm looking at Caymans, but yeah um my brother-in-law is moving to new york and he well at the time right i've been watching a lot of chelsea denofo right watching him crush it and drift on the e36 chassis he even had a 318 ti that he did a motor swap in and i was like that's pretty sick like super i just want to rewind too to like 36 months ago craig did not think drifting was as cool as he does now yeah well you know i let's see i worked with a bunch of motorsport heads one guy actually runs um uh, Lotus Cup USA and I did some track days with him and at the time one of our other co-workers was into drift and he's like that's a judge sport that's not motorsports like if you're not racing for time it's not really motorsports and so I think that rubbed off on me a little bit and you know never having actually been to a drift meetup or a, a drift competition or even track you know I, I don't think I had as much of a, an appreciation for it as I, I do now um, especially trying to get good on the sim with drifting with a handbrake and clutch kicking and all that stuff. So I was like, I think I'm going to build a drift, <clears throat> a drift car and was looking at E36 chassis and looking at motor swaps and, you know, E36s go for a premium right now. And then pretty much a BMW E90 just kind of fell in my lap. My brother-in-law was moving to uh, New York and he had a super high mileage uh, E90 he wanted to get rid of. And um, for the most part, it was pretty clean outside and in. And my only concern was that it had a sunroof. Um, and so, I mean, the car, I had the car shipped from the Bay Area out to where I live now, which wasn't a big ordeal. Um, but, you know, it had broken axles, blown radiator hoses, you know, busted brakes, uh, blown shocks. What else? Uh, it had a bunch of clapped. stuff. That probably, yeah, I wouldn't. You know, externally it didn't look clapped, but from a drivability mechanical standpoint, I think it was pretty clapped out. So I got the thing for almost nothing, right, on a family deal, and uh, put it in the driveway. And you know, I'm I'm trying to get the garage cleaned up with a new tool set and get it organized. We got a Tesla coming, so we got to plug that thing in the garage. So I've been like on garage cleaning duty and uh, didn't really have time to mess with the car. But in the meantime, I've been looking at these LS E90 motor swap kits. Um, a guy named Mike at LS E90. He's done probably I don't know seven or eight of these builds, ranging from you know. Um, LSA swaps that are supercharged to, you know, LS1s, LS3s, um, you know, 5.3 motors with iron blocks. So there's a wide range of motors that fit in that chassis, but no matter what motor you put in it, the V8 in that chassis just seemed awesome. Everyone loved it. So I, I started looking at like, all right, 
am I going to start with the motor swap? You know, I was going to go LS3, brand new LS3 with a brand new T56, put a Ford 88 rear end in it, limited slip and all this good stuff. And it was going to be just like a monster and drift and started pricing it all out and including brakes, including, you know, oh, and this car was an automatic. So I was also, <laughs> in addition to do a motor swap on this thing, I was also going to do a manual swap, which is a lot of money in small parts was, that I didn't account basically for. Basically just going to be like the shell and the dash was going to be left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much <laughs> subframe and body and interior and everything else was going to go. Um, yeah, and I priced it out and, it, you know, it's expensive, dude. If you want to do it right with the right fuel system, with a brand new motor, all this good stuff. Now you can do it for a lot less than I was looking at. But, you know, for me to get the car where I wanted it to be, it was going to be probably 35 grand to build it out. And I got excited about that. You know, I had some budget set aside for a sports car or a sports car build of some type. And, uh, you know, I was ready to go. So I had um, some guys coming out to do the paintless dent repair. There's a couple dents in it. I wanted to get pulled out before I actually got it up on jack stands and started the build out. And I, I moved the car for the guy coming over. And I realized that my head was hitting the, uh, the headliner without a helmet on. And like, that was the biggest frustration in my BRZ. That was the biggest frustration I had in some of the other, uh, like 911s I was driving up at the Porsche club autocross events. And I was like, I need a car with some good headroom. You know, most of these had uh, sunroofs and that, that kills about three inches of headroom. Right. So there's your helmet. Yeah. I was, I was realizing, okay, if I'm going to do a track build, I need to get a car that doesn't have a sunroof. And so, um, yeah. I don't know. I hopped in the car, realized that, and I was, I called you up and I was like, I think this, this car is going to be for sale, dude. I don't think I can do 35 grand of investment in this car with, you know, no room for a helmet, especially it being, you know, kind of a track focused build. So called that off and cars for sale. And now I'm shopping for Caymans and whatever else might, you know, suit me better, but, uh, yeah, you call me. Yeah, like, the, what do I tell the what do I tell the dead guy? I'm like, tell him you don't fit in your race car with a helmet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dude. And so pretty pretty much called it off, but I learned a lot, right? Because I had to do all the research on the parts I was going to be using for this build and learned a lot about E90 chassis and LS swaps and you know, Holly ECUs and whatnot. So someday, you know, we'll put an LS in an old Camaro or an old Nova or a Chevelle or something like that, you know, but yeah. Smog is a bitch in California, dude. You can't really get away with a motor swap, um, especially to a different brand, right? Like, cause I was going from BMW to GM, right? Like you can get away with some yeah, LS German motors. I got it. <laughs> German <laughs> motors. Dude, it was going to be awesome. It was going to be American muscle in a Euro chassis and a whole lot of drift gear, handbrake, you know, I was looking forward to it, but um, yeah, I was looking you know, ultimately, forward to it. <laughs> you gotta you gotta come out here and trim some plants with me and, and wrench on some cars dude um but yeah i think i've changed gears on that that whole that whole project and i could look for a car that doesn't have a sunroof and just continue on with the build but you know when you sink 35 grand or 30 grand whatever whatever the budget's going to be into a car that can't be smog legal you're pretty much going to be with that car for a long time, at least in California, right? Because in California, it's super hard to sell a car out of state or it can be. Um, and not being able to smog it for the street, you know, I was going to have 
kind of a street you just register machine. it to the fly life co man yeah i could do that and then you know get pulled over and pretend i'm leasing it from another state and do all that you know montana plates or whatnot but oh, there's bro, a lot I'll of ways you need me it. to be on the phone <laughs> perfect if you, if you, if you be the manager of the dealership or the bank or whatever <laughs> all right that's good to know i'll just uh i'll just call you up whenever i got some police trouble but um yeah dude smog's a bitch in california you gotta pretty much either rock a brand new car that doesn't need to be smogged and you know six years and do all your bolt-ons and all your turbo swaps and everything you know within that first six years of ownership or you buy a 1975 or older where smog doesn't apply but anything between 1975 and call it what's you know something that's used uh as new as like 2018 2019 you're still gonna have to smog every two years Wait, so is it 75 or 25 years back it's 1975 now in california so the whole 25-year rule, yeah, where you had like a constant, you know, he, every uh, year they added a new new availability, like, right? Waiting for that, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 and like you know, 25 years gets you pretty close to like a 993 Porsche, which you could do a lot of cool motor swap stuff with. Um, you see yeah, that new Stinger? Yes, Two yeah, that, that's a, my uh, that's my dream build right there, dude. Um, that thing, that thing smokes track times, dude, and it looks good doing it. Dude, it's so good looking. Yeah. Maybe is the it, best is, ever. It's a 930. Right? Yeah. It's a Porsche 930. So that's like the ultimate in terms of, you know, in my opinion, that's the ultimate body style for a 911. Um, I think Rawell Begriff agrees uh, with you <laughs> <Yeah>. there because <laughs> that's that's really what I mean. There's some 993 RWB Porsches, but you know it's really about the 930s and that single turbo and all that lag and those big wide hips and the big old whale whale tail 9K. spoiler. I mean, doesn't doesn't get much better than that. So, um, yeah, I, I I digress, bro. 930 Porsches. <laughs> <laughs> that the singer, that's the way to go. Yeah. In fact, I found one. I found a 930 track car on PCA.org, you know, which is Porsche Club of America. I realized once I exhausted all my searching of the dealership Porsches that the place to find, you know, well taken care of either race cars, street cars is up there. Um, so I've been checking that out and found a bunch of good stuff. But uh, right now I'm looking for a really hard to find Cayman um i didn't realize they were going to be so hard to find first gen um but uh, i think it's worth waiting for i think it's good good medium between you know a car that's fast and a car that feels light and small and car that i can still mod out a little bit and, and a car you can also take the lady as dinner in like yeah 90 with a hydro wasn't exactly going to be like reservations at seven <laughs> ls3 <laughs> chopped up with a big cam barely here's idling your, in the driveway here's your hydrops for the, for the <laughs> e85 just burning out your eyes because the exhaust is under the hood um yeah gotta be able to take the lady to maybe a weekend in napa kind of thing so yeah we'll we'll see i think it's a it's a healthy medium if i don't go older gen i'll have to just bone up and get the budget together for a gts 4.0 that's a new one you know it's a 2021 car that's expensive so yeah but the nice thing is after i get one of these built and ready for the track 
I got a I got a really solid camera guy I know. Can, thirsty uh, too. He is waiting. <laughs> <laughs> thirsty. Yeah. Uh, well, we did that one thing with my BRZ that one time, which I thought turned out pretty sick. Uh, yeah, that was just like a couple FPV shots for the shoot of it, and that was like before I really cared about video as much as I do now. You know. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Yeah, I want to. Yeah, I want to do grid life. There's some good roads right near my house. In fact, one of the most sought after roads for driving in Northern California, I live right off of. So we're talking midnight club, you know, to the 10th power, um, maybe get some chase car stuff out there and, and things like that. So I don't know. That, that's fun. That's fun to me. I'm looking forward to doing that. Um, still yeah, looking forward to get out and go ahead. I was gonna say, oh. Let me know so I can kit out the Z cam for handheld stuff yeah i mean we should put some cameras on tripods and do like a smoking tire type edit dude i finally bought a tripod for the first time in my life <sighs> they're so unnecessary for like 95 percent of the shooting you do but it's nice to have it when you need it yep yep i uh i i just never owned one which is <laughs> <Just> scary <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, after the wedding stream, you know, pretty much had to have one uh, where needed. What'd you get? Did you get something was off of Amazon or did you go fancy boy? Amazon, Amazon, $79. Yeah. Pretty solid though. It's pretty light. Good, like I can hike with it. It's not crazy heavy. Yeah. And I figured, like you just say, you don't really need it that often. I just wanted something to mount uh, mostly my Ronin to now that i have mm -hmm. the raven eye and i'm gonna go spend like a week paddle boarding so i want to see how far i can get the raven eye to track me with the 85 mil yeah on the water like on the side That'll of the water dope. the one thing we didn't talk about um which i was interested to hear uh, more about was your stabilization solution for the sicario mm. so as of right now i have yet to stabilize a single clip that i've posted mm -hmm. All that's like 120 and then i posted a 30 frames a second clip from the sicario and like minus like a little bobble like when it really locks in through prop wash it flies mm -hmm. great man like the tune is on point i just put in basically my rates that are like dialed down a little bit for my five inch quad and it flies great but i do have i already bought it and it's sitting here i have a, a stead xp unit and the software and it's basically what real steady is but it's like a third party or gyro that you put um on top of the camera that runs off a gopro 3 battery which is super old had to source one of those on amazon um and yeah. it basically just runs a uh, a gyro log and then feeds it into the video file through the audio so it's like plug into your camera through audio sitting on a hot shoe on top and then it has its own software like Real Steady, where it stabilizes the clip based on the gyro movements. The only difference is, however, that you have to make lens calibrations for like all your different lenses and stuff mm -hmm. and resolutions and frame rates because the crop factor is different. And um, I haven't wanted to deal with that part of it yet because you basically have to pull up a checkerboard on your TV and like move the thing around so it can pick up the level of distortion. Mm hmm and dealing I mean, with that's that has, dope. yeah it's super dope it was like i mean it came from france i think it was like 500 dollars. i had it, mm -hmm. had it shipped overseas 
but it was like after i ordered the sicario i just was like okay i know when it's going to be here roughly so i started ordering all the like z cam and extra stuff ahead of time mm-hmm. um but yeah i haven't had to stabilize anything yet and i'm hoping i don't need to because the workflow seems terrible i just hung out um with air blaster or blaster i guess i should call him now um johnny durst and he's dealt with it a bunch and he said the workflow it adds so much time but it transforms the footage the same way real study transforms gopro footage mm-hmm. you think johnny was using that in that porsche shoot or something like that or do you think he had like a post-production team that just kind of went went ham on the footage probably both yeah i would think that some of those shots they did not have it and some they did like all the shots they did with that free fly wave camera is like slow enough that you don't need stabilization yeah and a good tune accounts for a lot huh good tune counts for a lot yep and it's like the it's mounted like on the sicario the camera is mounted on its own plate that's floating on those alpha gel mounts so there's like the only stabilization you would need is from hard maneuvers there's no like jitters or anything oh that's awesome it's you said it's mounted how with what kind it's of mounted, it's like a carbon plate that's floating above the drone frame on gel mounts so it's like okay. the whole cam unit is isolated away from the drone it's like a subframe yeah basically that's pretty cool so yeah i haven't had to stabilize yet but uh i'm gonna go chase some drift cards with it and i imagine that dirty air behind them is gonna be the first place mm-hmm. yeah that's gonna be dope and it's nice that it came fully tuned. I mean, I know you like tuning rigs, but it's kind of nice one. to I not have to deal with tune that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so yeah. terrifying. So much money. So what kind of, uh, what stuff are you looking forward to doing now that you got that rig? Um, Really like subject matter stuff. I've been flying it like in the mountains in Colorado and like in the fields in Kansas. And I think I'm the most excited to go chase cars with it. I don't know if I want to chase people with it, like maybe mm-hmm. a dirt bike or something that's moving fast, but like the, that thing could kill someone for sure. Mm-hmm. And it could really maim someone if it didn't like the props spin counter to each other and the leading edges face like scissors. So it's like, like a you, weed whacker. Yeah. Yeah. Like you catch that on something or a finger, like it's going to slice like scissors instead of just whip around it like a knife. Mm. And it's how success. Far, how far are the props from each other on the arm? Like the, from top to bottom, they separated like three inches, two inches. It's basically the height of three motors. It's like the two motors and then the space of one in between where their arm is. Okay. So they are pretty close. Yeah, they're pretty close. And then the bottom ones are pretty close to the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, could I was the most sketchy about there. landing it. So do you need a do you need an insurance policy when you go out and fly this on on gigs? You know, there's there's a there's like two schools of thought to that. Like some people insure them, and then some people don't. The people that don't are under the like the if you file a claim with this thing, your insurance is going to be you know screwed anyway. Yeah, I mean, I know. See, I think you're probably thinking about it from like a like a loss of the drone, but what about liability insurance? You know? Yeah. 
that I, um, I mean that I just need to have in general running, like not even on that, like on five inches. Um, I usually pull out insurance through Verify for a drone shoot, like for the moment of, so I like, I'm, mm-hmm. if I'm like flying in the mountains by myself, it's not running insured, but if I'm like at a drift event behind cars and I hit something or someone it's covered. That's good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, I, there's a FPV group called like Cinelifters, um, and Benoit drops some knowledge bombs in there on insurance and how he deals with it and everything like that. I mean, he's on another level of like how much, how many gigs and money he's pulling through, but you know, like that was also a big part of why I went with Troy and QSL was he basically offers refreshes and work for free for life if you buy from him. So it's like, if I tank this thing and I need like two new arms and a motor it's like the same as if i was building it myself but i just gotta like price wise but i just gotta send it off to him mm-hmm. or you got Which a really like. good waiver yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sign this waiver for me you haven't you know something like that i mean do you have to have people sign waivers anyways when you go out to the drift events and at, at drift events like everybody signs waivers for the drift event i don't make anybody sign one for the five inch quads um like they're pretty chill around the drift cars compared to like what's going to happen to the car you know oh yeah um but at like the ski and mountain bike shoots there's like some pretty heavy heavy waivers going around yeah that makes sense there's like film um, permits and stuff being filed too and yeah they got that, uh, there's a huge open space near my house where they do a bunch of off-roading and there's a, there's actually like a motocross track there that guys practice on. It's pretty big jumps. So you got to bring the Sakari out, get one more trip out to California. Dude, uh, I'm going to be out there twice in the winter. So yeah, it's almost Once harvest in- season. For- yes. <laughs> for the crop. The, the crop turns, of tomatoes. Turns out Greg's a botanist. <laughs> Dude, I don't know about that, but I'm, I'm giving it a shot, trying to grow the uh, world's largest tomatoes, green tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're looking great. Yeah, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I'm going to be, I'll be in SoCal in November and then NorCal in December, January. Perfect. Well, you got to come up and, and we should go out there and see if we can get some footage of some motocross guys at like 40 feet overhead. Yeah, try to get a Cayman by then, too. That'd be tight. Knock out two birds with one stone. Hey, I got a couple calls to make this afternoon. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I, might <be> taking, <laughs> I might be flying down to L.A. on Wednesday and driving it back kind of thing. So we'll see. No, get that get that one on the East Coast so I can drive it back for you. Oh, yeah. What are we talking about? The bring a trailer auction? Yeah, when you, when you were like, you want to pick this up in Jersey? Like, Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Just drive it back to my house for me. Um like, yeah, dude, that one, that one went from 30K up, like, it, you know, the, the bidding on it is crazy in the last day. So we'll see where it, where it ends up. It's much higher than yeah. it was when I first looked at it. When you sent it to me, it was in the 30s. And then, I mean, it's bring a trailer. So I always look and it's like, oh, yeah, there's days left or whatever. Yeah, it's going to probably jump another 10K, uh, you know, in the next 24 hours. So we'll see. Well, shit, dude, I think I uh, got to make my way to Arkansas, man. I got like a three-hour drive today. Yeah, well, good luck with that. It sounds like fun. Yeah, you know how I feel about driving these days, man. Yeah, <laughs> just <laughs> hop in and go. Dude, 
you got you got a freezer full of uh, beef jerky and Red Bull. I think you know you're ready for the day. Dude, I do tuna, beef jerky, Red Bull, and a bed. Like I don't, what else? And a lipo charger. <laughs> I think you're good. Yeah, and you got solar panels on the roof still, right? Yeah, I left everything in there. I just took the fridge, and I like I take the fridge and the battery out, like when I'm not using it, um, just so it's not in there getting hot when I'm like parked at Walmart and shit. Yeah, <laughs> parked at Walmart. Stay strapped in those parking lots, dude. Some shit. That's why I had the happens. battle hatchet. <laughs> I don't I didn't want to be rolling Cali around Cali with a handgun hit in my car, but yeah. yeah. Cali's not the place for that. But you know, these days, I don't know. I'm sure a lot of people are are not listening to those rules too much. Dude, that's why I didn't really talk about it or like post pictures of it. Like there was a solid three week period where I was just rolling around with like a Sicario and a cinema camera and like a Mavic and a Sony and a gimbal and you know, like a production company's worth of shit in my car. Like I didn't want anybody knowing where, where, or what was in it. Yeah, where you're, where you're at by the minute. Mm-hmm. All the shit you got in there. Well, but yeah, cool, man. man. Thanks for doing this. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's good to have you back on the podcast. I'm looking forward to you having some real guests on. Um, you know, in the near future. You know. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't told anybody in the YouTube comments, somebody asked, Is a, can you do an update podcast? And I said, you and I were recording this weekend. And that's the only place cool. I've mentioned it. Nice. Yeah, a couple of people hit me up and were like, when, when's Martin going to be doing the podcast again? So I'm glad I could help kick that back off. Yeah, you, I think at a certain point, I just started telling people to hit you up. <laughs> <laughs> well, as your new agent, you know, feel free to uh, send all your film requests to me. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of not agent stuff, but uh, if anybody needs a set of HDOs, make me an offer in my DMs. I got two sets and I'm only keeping one. There you go. Jump on it. (laughs) I'll wipe the fresh Martin sweat off. But it's still good to have a set of analog goggles, right? Like you were just out at a shoot and someone asked you, hey, can you spot me with some, you have your analog goggles still? Yeah, it's I, I'm keeping the five inch freestyle rig on analog. It's just lighter and easier to deal with and it doesn't get nearly as hot. But yeah, when I was flying with uh, Christian Stealth FPV, he was like, can you spot me on this line? He was like, do you by any chance have analog goggles? And I was like, yeah. So I'm keeping the HDO2s for myself and then selling the HDOs. Nice. Well, cool, man. Enjoy Arkansas. When are you leaving? You leaving in a few hours or a few minutes or what? 10 minutes. Hop in the car and go. Hit the road. How long of a drive is that for you? Three hours. Yeah. Three hours. I got, yeah. Yeah. So I got three hours there, three hours back, then 10 hours to Nashville, three to Birmingham, and 10 back. Recording your new country record out in Nashville? Dude, I did. I'm almost, I'm going to hit 25,000 miles on the Mazda this year already. And it's August. Damn. That's uh, that's a lot of mileage, dude. It's a lot of driving, but you're doing it for good reason. You're getting out there, you're filming some good stuff. You still got steady corporate gig for flying drones, and I'm excited to see what comes, dude. Thanks, man. I'm excited to drive your Porsche from the East Coast. You will be one of the first, I'll tell you that. So, <laughs> looking forward to it. All right, dude. Peace. Later, man. Enjoy your day.
you too.